0: Motorcycle Safety Society, and welcome to Think Bike, a podcast about all things motorcycle and the voice of motorcycle safety and awareness in Alberta. We like to talk about everything motorcycle related and bring you great guests to share their stories. So thank you for tuning in today. On this episode of our lovely podcast, we are revisiting a topic that we did in season one, but we're putting a different twist on it. We're gonna talk again about collision scene management. And this time we have Justin Napik from Edmonton Fire Rescue Services with us. Welcome back to the show. You guys might uh, remember him from last year.
1: Thanks a lot, I uh, I appreciate it. It's really nice to be back.
0: Well, we uh, enjoy all of our awesome people in our community that can bring us uh, some crucial information. And as I mentioned, we did this topic in season one with the Alberta RCMP. It is time to refresh, regroup, and remind people about collision scenes, what are the do's and the don'ts and whatnot. So let's jump right into this. What would be the first thing for me as a bystander who may be first on scene at a collision before even you guys get there? What would be the first thing I should think of doing?
1: Um, so it's really interesting. Is that there's there's so many different variables that go into it. And one of the biggest things is is we have a a lot of rural accidents, and that's where a lot of our fatalities actually happen. Surprisingly enough, is open roads, uh, you know, involving um, either vehicles or else live uh, livestock or um, or animals as well um so there's a couple of different ways of looking at it and so maybe i'll start with you know rural and then we'll talk a little bit about that urban interface as well sure so the biggest thing is is getting the first responders to your location so we need to try and make sure that in the event of an incident that we have a way of actually getting there and part of that is sort of identifying where you're at so the first thing that you're going to do is you're going to stop at, uh, at a scene. You might uh, either come across it or you might even be a part of it in some way, shape or form being in the safest position possible for yourself and ensuring as much safety for um the people that are involved as possible is uh, is the number one thing making sure that not only do we have one or two injured people but adding to it because people are uh walking across the highway or they're involved in it uh, without um, putting themselves in a place of safety that's a, a huge concern So the first thing we need to do is we need to try and make sure that everybody stays safe, make sure that everything is moved out of the way. If there is um, somebody injured in the middle of the road, we have to find a way to try and flag down traffic to make sure that they are not going to run over somebody, they're not going to get involved and have additional vehicles be a part of it. So once that's all complete, the next thing is, is trying to make sure that we go through and you call for help. That call for help is obviously difficult in the event that uh, you don't have cell reception, but if you do have cell reception, um, calling 911 anywhere in Alberta will get you um, a 911 dispatcher who will get you to the appropriate uh, first responders. Um by going through and taking a look at your cell phone, you should be able to take a look usually and get longitude and latitude um, if you can't really describe where you are, but also just having an idea of generally, you know, what highway that you're on. So finding out what highway you're on or what, uh, you know, what rural road that you're on and, you know, letting uh, letting the first responders know generally where you're at.
0: Would Google Maps pulling that up while you're on phone with 911 possibly help with that? Absolutely.
1: And so if you drop a pin, what can happen is, is the moment you drop a pin, it'll give you your longitude and latitude. That gives your first responders exactly an idea of where they need to go to. So what will happen is, is that you have an exact idea and they will be able to drive right to you. Now, it takes a little bit of time for, um, for those first responders to get to you, especially if you're in a, a fairly remote area. And so in that time, what you need to do is you need to kind of take a look at the injuries that are there, and you need to take a look and find out if there's multiple people who is the, the most serious. I think one of the biggest things that people forget is that A broken arm or a broken leg or somebody that has a cut on their head, those aren't fatal issues. Those are not things that we need to worry about. When you see somebody's arm that's not pointing in the right direction, that tends to be what people kind of focus on the most. However, we need to try and take a look and make sure that we're looking for people that are having problems with major bleeds or if they're having problems with any sort of crush injuries for their airways or they're having problems breathing so the biggest thing is pay attention to that pay attention to head injuries those are the the things that you need to do while you're on scene while you're waiting for the first responders to show up
0: so with that i know that um, myself i'm not fully first aid trained i have like some common sense ideas if you don't move people you stabilize put pressure on wounds but being not certified, am I putting myself at risk if I'm trying to help these people while first responders are coming?
1: Absolutely not. So you're not at risk from, a, I'm guessing you're asking specifically about a legal aspect, yeah. about whether you're um, whether you're putting yourself at risk legally by helping anybody. And that's not the case. So we have a good Samaritan um legislation in place. And most uh, everywhere in North America has exactly that. So if you are trying to assist, you are covered by that and you are um, placed in a position where you are just there to help in any way that you can. Okay. So when we start to take a look at, um, you know, what you can do on scene, the the biggest thing to try and remember is that once you've called for help, don't leave the scene. Don't leave anybody unattended, and don't go looking for additional help if you're the one that has the cell phone. That um, connection to um, the 911 dispatcher is a, a major in, uh, major help, and that's exactly how they're going to be able to find you. So, being there to ensure that you're you're there to assist that is going to be one of the biggest things. Next, if we're looking at something from an urban sort of uh, uh, incident, so we have something, let's say, within the city of Edmonton, for example, and this is what I deal with on a a day-to-day basis, Um, what you can do is you can call your 911, you're going to get a dispatcher, they're going to ask you whether you need police, fire, ambulance. Chances are you're requesting an ambulance, but a fire truck is going to be the first on scene. The reason that is is because the fire truck is going to be there to not only set up your um, your traffic control and make sure that you've got scene safety in place before the ambulance arrives. But an ambulance is usually, let's say, seven minutes out in approximately, whereas every fire station is supposed to be within four minutes of you. So within four minutes of that phone call, you should be starting to see some, some first responders show up. When they do show up, the biggest thing is you want to make sure that you explain to them how many people are involved in the locations of how many uh, of where everybody is at so that there is no possibility that anybody gets mixed up lost or gets unattended for any length of time we don't really need to know how it happened we're not there to try and, uh, assign blame. Nobody, nobody cares how that, how that happened. All we worry about is making sure that everybody's safety is, uh, taken care of and making sure that everybody is, uh, being, uh, medically, um, taken care of as well. Does that make sense?
0: That makes absolute sense. So then, So both in rural and urban, then when first responders show up, should it be the person who has been on the phone with 911 the whole time? Or if there's a couple people and you've been trying to manage the scene together, it could be anyone transferring that information over.
1: Absolutely. It doesn't really matter who it is that's transferring the the information. Information. And a lot of times the person that's specifically on the phone is not the one dealing with the the emergency situation. So um, personally, I've been, you know, uh, I've come across, you know, multiple incidents, you know, throughout my years. Um, and as a as a trained professional, what I do is I will put somebody else on the phone and I relay information to that person as I'm dealing with patients. Um, There's not a lot that you can do because you don't have gear. You're not necessarily in, you know, a position where you can help. But any sort of information that you can give and everything that you can do in order to try and make sure that that um, person has uh, a position of comfort and that they're put into a position where their, um, their airway and their breathing um, are taken care of, any major bleeds are taken care of, those are everything that you can do to really help.
0: And then I would assume that, again, once you guys have arrived on scene, you you transfer that information and step back. But would you not still have to stay for statements with police if you were a witness to everything?
1: Absolutely. So in the event that you've, uh, you know, you witnessed what has happened, it's um, it's not mandatory, but it is definitely one of those things where if you can give a statement to police, that really helps them with being able to uh, make sure that everybody is taken care of to the best of their ability. So I know in the city of Empton when we have, uh, you know, when we have people on scene, I always tend to find out who it is that is actually a witness and how many people are there that are just kind of watching the people that are there watching. I make sure that they find a place farther away and the people that are witnesses I keep them close by so that when EPS shows up, we can um, have them have the appropriate conversations with uh, with our police officers.
0: And I've been on kind of both sides of that, where I've come up on a big collision on the Anthony Henday because that happens and didn't see anything that happened, but it stopped to assist. And because there was vehicles everywhere and not a lot of people were stopping. And I felt that was very strange. And, you know, I can be late for work. It's okay. Yeah. and when the first responders pulled up, it was fire that came to me and said, did you see what happened? I said, no, but I've been dealing with this lady. She has a small child in the backseat. He doesn't seem to be harmed in any way. And he goes, great, you're free to go. I said, thank you very much. And I went on my way. There's no reason for me to stick around. You know? And I think that people need to understand they need to get out of the way.
1: Yeah, that's one of the things that I think a lot of people, they, they tend to want to help. But then after they've relayed their information, they don't necessarily know what what is expected of them. And the biggest thing is, is that once you have relayed that information, you've, uh, you know, assigned or been able to let, um, let the first responders assign medical attention. After that, the best place for you is not on that scene as a, as a target for another vehicle to hit. So every time we drive up on scene and we put a big red truck in front of uh, um, a vehicle accident, the reason that we stage it the way that we do is because people tend to want to look at car accidents. And unfortunately, we see more car accidents because of it. And by putting that, you know, that uh, huge red truck in front of uh, the accident scene, it makes sure to protect everybody on that scene, including the patient.
0: Yeah, we get a lot of looky-loos everywhere we go, <laughs> which it is, is,
1: it is, I mean, is people are
0: people are nosy, and I get it. You want to see what happened and, and whatnot, but I, I don't know. I've, I've changed my mind on that um, from starting AMSS and getting more involved with, like, with first responders and understanding things and relaying information that I slow down past the scene, but then I resume my speed and pay attention to what I'm doing because I don't want to add to that.
1: Absolutely. yeah. The the worst place for most people is being at that incident. But the best thing that you can do is trying to make sure that you can flag down the appropriate uh, help and making sure that the scene is safe as possible. So making sure that if you're in a if you're in a car, you want to try and make sure that that person on the motorcycle that's lying, you know, let's say on a curb somewhere is protected by placing your car in front. So at least the car is there to protect those people. So you can do your part in order to try and help that scene be as safe as possible.
0: So then going back to this first aid thing, of course, if there's somebody who is full first aid trained that is on site, that isn't a first responder, maybe let them take the lead in assessment to coordinate information back for 911.
1: That would probably be the better way. Yeah, so the person that's on the phone doesn't necessarily need to have any training, but being able to relay that information to dispatch really helps with um, making sure that the dispatch can relay it not only to EMS, but also to fire and police as well. And so most people don't understand that um, EMS will take the call, but then the information has to go through EMS's dispatch and then get given to Fires dispatch and then get given to fire or uh, to EPS's dispatch. So making sure that you're clear and concise that's a huge um, asset because it's a little bit of a game of telephone uh, tag. By the time we get through to everything,
0: and then. Again, knowing all the information, knowing knowing kind of commonsensically what to do and what not to do. We'll get into the other good do's and don'ts tips when it comes to that. But before we go, I'm going to do a shameless plug. As a road racer, you know we sell medical data carriers that go Absolutely. on the side of your your road racing helmets we also sell them to the general public you know what's on there how helpful is that if you come across me and you don't know me well you don't know my medical history let's face it justin we're friends but we're not we may haven't known each other a long time Absolutely. how helpful is a medical data carrier on a motorcyclist helmet in the event of a collision i can't speak for myself
1: That's a a huge asset because just even having your Alberta healthcare on there allows us to take a, your medical history. So there's a lot of things that are on there that will help with that. Um, things like your allergies. So if you're allergic to any sort of pain meds, that's really, really important. So um, I'm really glad you bring that up because the medical data care is something that um, that we've had with the EMRA now for quite some time and uh, something that I I believe in. Um, we brought that in back when I was still the vice president of, uh, of the club and uh, it's a, a huge asset from a race aspect but then even more so from a, um, a road riding incident where you're out in public you don't have some of the the checks and balances that you would have in place with a, a road race course and so I believe it's even more important in that uh, in that aspect.
0: I think uh, when we first brought them in, and it was after you guys started with them at the MRA, like you said, um, and then we became the official distributor in the province of Alberta, which is great because we service both you guys and, and the general public. One of the things, one of the first years we brought them out, we were stationed beside police booths at the Calgary Motorcycle Show. And the one thing that they appreciated about it, because they're not necessarily, you know, they know how to do some first aid and and whatnot, but the one thing they liked about it was the emergency contact information that's on there because it saves them the hassle of trying to find your phone, which could be smashed or going through your pockets for ID. It's like, it's all right there.
1: Absolutely. And I've been on... Unfortunately, too many of those incidents where the the patient is unconscious, they can't advocate for themselves, they can't um, give any sort of information, and without having some sort of identification, um, it's really, really tough for us to be able to, you know, um, even start calling, uh, you know, uh, an emergency contact, so...
0: Well, in that, in that too, people are like, well, I got ice on my phone. And I'm like, okay, well, I'm not a person that travels on my motorcycle with stuff on my person. It's tucked in my, in my bag. And that's something James McCarthy taught me a long time ago because things can stab you if you go down that are in your pockets. And so I've learned to not have things in my pockets. So what if my bike is 500 yards down the road one way and I'm the other way? Now you got to run all the way over there to find my phone that could be broken or you know all those things whereas something right on your helmet is like it's right and if you have a proper fitting helmet and you're wearing it properly your helmet should still be on your head
1: absolutely yeah so and i mean i'll be honest like finding a phone depending on where it's at getting into a phone because most of them have um you know they have uh a lock on them. It's, it's really difficult to, to try and get information from somebody's phone. Um, ID is going to be the second best without a medical data carrier. And even that, I mean, most people carry around a driver's license. We can get a name. But if you don't have somebody that's in the system through uh, AHS, I mean, we don't have any of that medical history. So it's definitely a huge asset to to have um, an Alberta healthcare care uh, number, for example, you know, uh, and an next of kin. On your, uh, on your medical data carrier.
0: So anybody listening that is looking for them, our website, we sell them, they're only five bucks a piece and it could be life-changing. Let's get into the absolute don'ts at a collision scene. What are the absolute do
1: nots? Well, the biggest thing is, is don't panic. Take a breath, understand that whatever is happening in that moment, there's nothing that you can do to fix it without getting a phone call out and getting some help. If for whatever reason, you know that you can't get a call out right away, you need to try and uh, let somebody know that is on scene that you're gonna be leaving to get a cell signal, but make that call. Without that call, nothing else in the emergency system will work. So, don't, um, stand there and hope for a vehicle to show up, get a phone call out. That is the, the first thing that I can suggest. Um, the other thing is, is that you have to also understand is that, uh, removing a helmet is only necessary if somebody is having a problem breathing. So it's not that, uh, it's not that the old wives tale that, you know, if we take off a helmet that somebody's going to be paralyzed, that's, that's not necessarily the case. However, you can do more damage and you can also um, make it so that it's really difficult to try and um, stabilize somebody. So as far as gear goes, if the gear is helping keep broken arms and legs together, leave it. It's fine. We'll strip it when we get get there. If somebody has you know, injuries where they're not able to walk, don't worry about it. It's fine. Let them stay exactly where they're at. Don't move them. We'll take care of it when we get a stretcher there. If somebody is bleeding, it's fine. Slow down the bleeding. But in all honesty, unless it is a major bleed, it's going to be fine. Just take a breath. That's one of the things that we find that most people when we show up, they're, they're really, really worked up. And they're usually worked up about things that are not the, the big issue there might be really big issues that are, that are there on scene, but the ones that most people see, you know, somebody has uh, a cut or they have a, you know, an angulated forearm or something. Well, that's, those aren't the ones that we have to worry about. So the biggest thing is take a breath.
0: I would add one thing to there after, after calls to 911, after first responders have arrived, after things are out of your realm of control, so to speak. If you're on an event, like as an event organizer for a Triumph Rally in BC, and and I've gotten a phone call when I'm back at the hotel, so so had a collision, it's all taken care of. They're at the hospital in the cusp or whatever, mm-hmm. they call and let me know. And I appreciate that as an event organizer just because then I'm not sitting there worried about what's going on if all of a sudden Four out of five of this one group that I know is five have just come back, you know, I have ahead of time or I can get out to the hospital or, you know, whatever. So I would say if you're on an event after all the important stuff is dealt with, maybe try and contact the event organizer as well.
1: Yeah. You know. I'm sure that any sort of, um, information as far as getting that out to, um, anybody that's involved with that person, because if they're not necessarily a next of kin or an emergency contact, they might be traveling with, that, with that person, getting that information out to them would probably be really helpful for sure.
0: Yeah. Cause I have everybody's info and in- and you know emergency contacts and stuff like that so then i can relay messages i'm one of those people that stays very calm in situations until it's dealt with and then i'm a basket case (laughs) after so i'm a dream i'm a dream for you guys i'm a wreck after the fact but um any other last tips on this before we take off because I no, like to stay what? calm. I think, I think
1: we've kind of uh, we've covered all the major things that need to happen. I like to try and keep it as simple as possible. Because I'll be honest, most people, as soon as something happens, they only have three or four things that they're going to be able to grasp on. The big things to to touch base on, make that phone call, stay calm get the information out for where you're located and make sure that you're taking care of any of the major injuries that involve any sort of major bleeds or any sort of breathing uh, issues.
0: And secure that scene, make sure Sure. we're not adding to it.
1: Absolutely.
0: Justin, thank you so much for this uh, recap again on collision scene management. Um, We need that information out there and it needs to come from the credible sources. And thank you so much for your time on that.
1: Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me again.
0: All right, let's hop into the mailbag. Uh, Jason from Lethbridge has a question for us today about what are the rules about children on a motorcycle? We see this a lot on Facebook. Here's the deal guys. Vehicle Equipment Regulations state section 109, a person shall not drive or operate a motorcycle that is carrying a passenger unless the motorcycle has the following for the passenger, an adequate pillion seat, adequate hand grips, adequate foot rest. This is not multiple choice, you need all three. With that said, all passengers must be able to reach the passenger pegs firmly. That means if you're taking your mini human out with you on your motorcycle, they have to be able to touch the pegs. Second thing to consider, kids move around, kids could fall off, kids fall asleep. There's a lot of different aspects when it comes to children. Make sure they're secure. I'm not a fan of strapping them to a person, but that's better than them falling off while you're going down the road. Third thing to consider, And we talked about this on, uh, we will be talking about this on episode 61 with our good friend, Justin, the other episode we did with him. Improvements on gear is what we talked about. However, the improvements actually do consider children as well. And I'm going to say probably the most important thing that you can do with your kids if you're going to get them on the back of your bike is, A, have it legally, B, quadruple the importance on gear that fits them properly. There's no putting on dad's helmet just to go around the block. None of that stuff. Please make sure that your kids are safe because I would hate to be a parent where something went wrong and I did not dress my kid appropriately. I will get off my soapbox and save that as our show for today. To make sure that you don't miss out on any of our upcoming podcasts or listen to previous ones, make sure you click on subscribe or follow wherever you get yours. If there is a topic you'd like us to cover or a guest you think would be great on the show or a question for the mailbag, let us know. You can connect with us through the socials, email us at info at ab-amss.org or reach out through our website at ab-amss.org. Always remember to ride smart, ride safe, and think bike. We will see you out on the road.